Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So good to see you here today. You're here at just the right time. We're kicking off a new series today, uh, going through the book of Habakkuk. We've entitled this series, God Questions, an Exposition of Habakkuk. And we're going to be going verse by verse through this little book uh, by this prophet. And uh, let me just kind of give you sort of the historical setting for who this man is and how he fits in uh, to, our, to our Bible. First of all, he's one of the 12 minor prophets. And so let's just pop up that... Um, that diagram I, I have for us. So Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, this, this designation of major and minor is not about whether or not he was in, in a farm league and just couldn't make it to the big, to the big house. You know, it wasn't about not, he didn't make it to the major leagues. It's not about the significance of his book, but about the size of his book. And so it's only three chapters long. And that's the case of all 12 of the minor prophets, it's that their books were shorter and so they're listed together. And then we have the four, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, are much larger books. And so they're organized in order that way, based on the size of the books, not their significance. And certainly, as we look at this, we can see that uh, Habakkuk, in terms of the timeline, was a contemporary of Nahum and Zephaniah, as well as Jeremiah. He lived during that time just before the fall of Judah to Babylon. So if you go to the next slide, I have a timeline kind of quickly for you to look at. I'll pop this up from time to time over the next few weeks as we go through the book of, of Habakkuk. But Habakkuk is, is writing somewhere between 609 and 598 B.C. We know he started writing probably around 609 because that's when King Josiah uh, died. That's when G King Josiah was killed at the Battle of Carchemish against Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. And so we know that, and, but it was before uh, the Babylonians uh, moved in in 605 to, come, to become overseers of Judah. So he's writing sometime between 609 and 605 B.C., and uh, you can kind of see how he fits in. This timeline is the timeline of the southern kingdom called Judah, and this timeline right here, abbreviated uh, much shorter in time is the northern kingdom of Israel, which fell to the Assyrians, whereas Judah fell to the Babylonians. So that kind of gives you context of who this Habakkuk fella is. We don't know much more about him uh, than that. We know the time period he wrote, based on the internal evidence, we know that he, it was before the Babylonians had come. And it's uh, at that, that key time. So we know that. We also know that perhaps his name seems to mean to embrace or to uplift. The name Habakkuk in Hebrew seems to mean that. And we know he's a prophet because he tells us that in verse 1. So that's what we know about Habakkuk. It's a little book, but it has big questions. It, it asks big questions. Uh, it's only three little chapters, but uh, boy, it's power-packed with questions. It asks questions like this. Uh, uh, how long, Lord, must I wait? How long before you will help? How long must I cry out before you will help me? Um, questions like, Lord, when are you going to rescue us? Lord, are you even listening? Lord, how long before uh, you do something about all the violence and strife in our world? I mean, Habakkuk's not playing around here. He's crying out from his heart how he feels about what's going on in God's people in the land of Judah. 
It's these kinds of questions that makes the prophet Habakkuk unique among all the prophets because all the other prophets tend to speak on behalf of God to the people. They represent God to the people. But Habakkuk represents the people to God. This makes him unique because he's asking these questions of God. He's representing the way the people feel and the way he feels in his heart in prayer to God. This is how he's speaking. Now, this is what we call in literature, in biblical literature, a lament. A lament. Now, what is a lament? Ryan Higginbottom says this in his definition of a lament. He says, it's a prayer expressing sorrow, pain, or confusion. Lament should be the chief way Christians process grief in God's presence because many Christians have grown up in churches which always look on the bright side. And because of this, lament can be jarring. And for believers whose lives are relatively free from tragedy, lament may seem unnecessary. And so if you're here today and you've lived this long and you've not had to face any sorrow, any pain, any loneliness, any trouble, then this message, you probably won't get much out of it. But if, you, if you've had to cry, if you've felt pain, if you've suffered, if you've been lonely, if you've lost a loved one, this message is perfectly timed for you today from the book of Habakkuk. That even though it was written 3,000 years ago, it's just as timely today as when it was first written. What is this idea of lament, and why would God want us to lament to Him? Here's what uh, Mark Vrogop says in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. He writes this, Lament is a divinely given liturgy for processing our pain so that we can rejoice. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is not only how Christians grieve, it's the way Christians praise God through their sorrows. Lament is a pathway to praise when life gets hard. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. To, to cry is human. <laughs> Isn't that the way we all begin life? Isn't that the first thing? And that the first sound that we make as we leave the safety and warmth of our mother's womb? I mean, we don't remember, but if you've been a parent, if you've been present and in the room, and perhaps your parents told you, uh, we all know we entered the world weeping. And really, as we go through life, the crying doesn't stop. And no one has to teach you the language of crying. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're from, the language of crying is identical. We all are born already knowing how to cry. To cry is human. But to lament is learned. It's learned by people of faith who have learned to turn their cries no longer outward or even towards other humans, but to turn them upward. To lament is an act of faith. It's, it's something that we learn, and we can learn it from books like Habakkuk. We can learn it from writings like the book of Job. We can learn it from at least one-third of the Psalms that David writes. We can learn to cry out our pain, our sorrow, even our doubts and questions to God. We can be real with God. Uh, the key verse for this book is found in chapter 2. It, 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 to really understand this book, we must understand the key, and the key is from Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That's one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament from the book of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. 
And this is what Habakkuk has going for him. He doesn't doubt God's existence. He doesn't doubt, doubt God's ability to save. He doesn't believe that God is deaf. He knows deaf that God can hear. He doesn't doubt these things. What he struggles with is why God's not answering, why he's not moving. Why is he letting this go on so long? He says, God, Lord, how long? How long must we go through this? How long must we endure and cry out before you answer? Maybe you have questions for God today. Do you have questions for God today? Are you asking, Lord, how long? Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe your husband left you or your wife left you. Now you're alone with your kids. You're going, Lord, how long? Do you see what I'm going through? Maybe you've heard something from the doctor recently that's really scared you. You're praying for healing. But when you go back to the doctor, the news is grim. There doesn't seem to be a healing. You're going, how long, Lord? How long do we have to cry? How long do we have to pray? Maybe you've lost a loved one. You prayed and you asked God for healing and healing didn't come. And now you're facing life without that loved one. How, what do you do with those feelings? Do you um, just repress them and bottle them up and go through life like, I, I'm a Christian, I'm not supposed to think uh, negative thoughts, so I'm just going to pretend like I'm okay. Or maybe you go to the doctor and you medicate the pain and try to bury it in that way. Or maybe you become bitter about it. You don't cry out to God about it, but you cry out to everyone else and to your own, and your, your sickness, your sorrow, your grief remains. But to lament as Christian, to, to learn from the book of Habakkuk today, is to understand the pathway to praise through sorrow and through questions and through doubts even. Because in the book of Habakkuk, the prophet cries out his questions, his doubts, believing that God will answer. And I believe today we can do that. We can learn from Habakkuk how to pray a lament to God. Because if you, if you aren't going through one now, you'll go through one someday where you'll need the, the ability to pray a prayer of faith crying out in your sorrow, in your pain, even in your doubts, to the God that you believe in. And I believe as we look at the text, we'll see three ways that we can cry out to God while still believing in Him. Let's look at the text. We'll take on the first 11 verses today. And I want you to take note that there's a conversation, a dialogue here going on between God and Habakkuk. It begins with Habakkuk's questions in verses 1 through 4, and then God's response in verses 5 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, 
who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is God's Word. Amen. We're looking for three ways that we can cry out to God, believing that He will answer. Here's the first. Cry out, believing that God will help. We can cry out, believing that God will help. If you look at verse 2, circle the word help. Do you see it there? Habakkuk doesn't question God's ability to help. What he questions is how much longer is he going to have to cry out for help before God answers? That's what he's asking. He's not saying, God, I don't think you're uh, unable to help. I just don't know how long you expect me to keep crying to you before you do help. He doesn't doubt God's existence. He doesn't doubt God's power. He just is struggling with the timing of it. When are you going to help, God? How much longer do I have to sorrow? How much longer do I have to cry out to you? This is where he's at. Now, to give you some background, we must first look at verse 1. It says, this is the introduction, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. I don't know about you, but I don't use the word oracle very often. In the Hebrew, it has the original idea of a burden, a great weight or load. It's something that came to mean something that you would see, a vision. Remember Habakkuk's name in the Hebrew has the idea of, of one who embraces or lifts up. And here Habakkuk, the prophet, has been given a burden from God that he now lifts up back to God. He's burdened with this vision, this oracle from God, because as you look at it, it looks like God's brought him up to the place of God's perspective. In verse 3, it's, he's asking God, why do you make me see iniquity? Like, he could already see the evil around him, but now he, it's like God's brought him up and made him see everywhere. Like how it's everywhere. It's not just in his neighborhood. It's not just in his school. It's not just in his city. It's everywhere. He's burdened by it. And so he cries out to God. Believing that God can help, but wondering when he will. How long, Lord? How long before you'll help? How long before you'll hear? The Hebrew word for cry is shavah. And the Hebrew word for here is shema. How long must I shema before you shema? How long must I cry before you hear? He sounds like Job. Doesn't he sound like Job? Job chapter 19, Job says, Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. Is this okay? Should believers talk to God in such a way? This is a lament. This is a godly man who has real questions, real concerns, and he's not bottling them up. 
He's not medicating them. He's not pretending he doesn't feel this way. He's crying out to God. And we are led like Habakkuk, I believe, as those who walk through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. We go through seasons where life is hard. Suffering is real. Loneliness is upon us. We could pretend like it's not there. And then we become like those two-dimensional cardboard Christians that the world disdains. Or we could get real with God. We could get real with God and let the world see what it looks like for a Christian to go through trouble and yet still believe. We go ahead and ask our questions. We go ahead and cry out. I'm hurting here, God. How much longer? We can cry out and God hears. I believe you hear, God. You need to get me through this because I don't know how much longer I can keep crying. We know he's promised to hear and to help. He tells the prophet Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When, when all else in the world doesn't make sense, we believe the promises of God. This is a lament. This is where we go, I don't see evidence right now, but yet I believe. But I'm not going to play. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not hurting. I'm going to go ahead and cry it out, but I'm, I'm also not going to stop believing. Because as Peter told Jesus when Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? Peter said, where else would we go? For you have the words of life. And we say, no. Lord, I will hang on to you even when the life doesn't make sense. And we can go to him with confidence as we read in Hebrews. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly before the Lord. We can cry out the way we really feel. This is a timely word written 3,000 years ago, but just as true today as it was then. Are you going through something right now that you need God? Cry out to Him. Cry out to the God who hears. A lament, you, you have to read the whole book, and, and today we're going to pause after verse 11. It's, we're going to, over the next five weeks, take on the, all three chapters, but it's one lament. So we're kind of pausing before you get all of it. But there are, like one-third of the Psalms will be an entire lament. It will begin with the questioning and the problems, and then it will ask for help. And so there's really like four phases of, of, of a Christian lament. There's the, there's the crying out, there's the naming the complaint, then there's the asking for help, and then there's the choosing to trust and praise the Lord even though the answer hasn't come yet. There's like four phases, and we won't see it all here until we read the whole book. So just, but trust me, that's how it works, that for the believer, you cry out, and you, you lift up your questions and your concerns and your complaints, and, and then you ask God, help me with this. Tell me how I'm supposed to feel about this. And, and, and then you go, but I'm going to praise you anyway. Even, I don't know if you're going to answer me today or tomorrow or next year, but I, you know what? I'm going to praise you anyway. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you're going to praise Him when He gives, 
Believer, you have to praise Him when He takes away. But knowing this, there's a day coming when every tear is wiped away. Do you believe this? This is what we believe. Stop bottling up your questions and complaints. Stop medicating your pain or just wallowing in your suffering. Learn to cry out to the Lord who hears and will help. This is the first way to cry out to God believing that He will answer. Here's the second. Cry out believing that He will save. Cry out believing that He will save. Take note of the word save in verse 2. How long shall I cry out for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? You will not rescue? Lord, do you see the violence in Judah, in my land, in the land that's supposed to be marked by God's people? Josiah has just died. He was killed in battle fighting against Pharaoh Necho as he was headed up towards Carchemish to do battle with, ironically, the Babylonians, uh, the Chaldeans, another way of saying the Babylonians. And Josiah was killed in battle with violence. He, he was killed there at Megiddo, which is where the future battle, the Armageddon battle, will take place. Here's a prophet. Josiah was like the best king they'd ever had. And he's gone. Violence took him. And then he looks at his country. The, the king that came after Josiah is not a godly king. And, and he's murdered people. He's already showing what a murderous, violent man he is. And he's like, what are you going to do about this land? And he uses a word in Hebrew that I have to tell you this word. I, I don't want to overuse these Hebrew words, but they reveal things um, sometimes. He goes, how long, Lord, must I cry Hamas, which is Hebrew for violence? How long, more, Lord, much, must I say Hamas before you will save? How about that? That's the word? How long must I cry Hamas before you will yasheh? which is where we get the word Yeshua, which is where we get the word Jesus. Yeshua, to save. How long must I cry Hamas before you will save? We, we catch a quick glimpse of the gospel here. You've got to recognize Habakkuk doesn't know the gospel yet. He lives before Jesus. He's, he's crying out to the God he believes in, but he doesn't have Yeshua yet. He doesn't have Jesus. He goes, how long do we have to cry Hamas, violence? before you will save. It reminds me of the lament that David wrote in Psalm 69, which is a great example of one of David's laments. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. In verse 14 he says, Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. He goes, I'm drowning. The water's up to here, and my feet are sinking in the mud, muddy mire at the bottom of the water. I'm going under. Lord, the timing is right now if you're going to save me. I'm going under. I'm going under. Now, let's not forget who David was. The Bible says that God saw him, and he said, that's a man after my own heart. So let's not put on David that he's, he's praying wrong. No, he's praying 
right. He's praying right as God would have him. He's praying from a heart of integrity. He's praying from a heart that was a heart after God's heart. He goes, Lord, I'm drowning here, and you're the only one who can save me. I'm sinking in the mire. God, you're the only one. Now, this is the prayer of lament. This is the prayer that believes. This is the prayer that doesn't doubt God. But this is the prayer that gets real with God. Not afraid to talk to God about what's going on in my heart. This is a timely word because the word Hamas has been a word that uh, the terrorists in Palestine have taken on as their the acronym. They, they have an acronym which basically has the idea of Hamas, but the word Hamas is also in the Arabic. In Arabic, Hamas tends to mean warrior or, or courageous warrior, whereas in uh, Hebrew it means more like terrorist, one who loves violence. We, we live in a time right now where it was um, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians who brought Hamas to Jerusalem. But we live in a day today where Hamas still exists. Violence still exists. I got, I got contacted this past week by one of our missionary families that serve uh, for our church, for the Lord, in Istanbul, Turkey. And you may not know this, but ever since the Hamas-Israeli war broke out in October, there's been disturbances throughout the Middle East and in Turkey, wherever there are Christians or Jews. In fact, the Jews have not met in a synagogue since October in Turkey. They've closed their synagogues because they feel it's too dangerous to meet. And Christians are more and more deciding we just can't meet in a, in a place publicly in Turkey, although they le legally have the right to. So I got contacted from one of the families because a week ago, Terrorists entered into a Catholic church in Istanbul, masked, masked gunmen entered in and, and killed one man and injured about 16 and then fled, and then ISIS took credit for it. And as a result, this, this family that I love, that you love, that I won't name because we're going out on the internet right now, they got a call from the Turkish police. Now, they'd never had, they didn't even know the Turkish police knew their cell phone number, so that scared them. And then they got a call, and they were like, oh, no, what, what's this call about? And the Turkish police actually was asking them, do you have security where you have church? Do you uh, have some plan for if something happens? Do you have a, a security guideline? And was questioning them about whether or not, would you like police protection where you go to church? So actually, it was a favorable call. But still, they're like, I didn't know they had my phone number. Like, that scared them really bad. So be praying. We have two missionary families right now from our church in Istanbul. And I, I asked, are you going to keep meeting? They said, yeah, we're going to keep meeting. We're going to keep meeting. We've got a Russian service. We've we got a French-speaking service. We've got an English-speaking service. We, we have church all day on Sunday. Pray for them. Hamas has broke out. Violence has broke out. And we have it in our country. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not taking a stand politically on, on pro-Palestine, pro pro-Israel. I'm pro-Jesus. And I believe wherever war breaks out, both sides lose. Innocents are harmed. Right? I believe Hamas is a terrorist organization that needs to be addressed. But, but we, need, 
We need to figure out as Christians how to pray for this, like, like cry out, say, God, do you see the violence? Do you see the Hamas in our world? And not just in other parts of the world, but look how it's breaking out and affecting us because it boils over and affects our missionaries, and then it boils over and affects our soldiers that serve in the Persian Gulf. And so we see this. We see that three U.S. Army soldiers were killed and more than 30 service members injured in a drone attack overnight in a small outpost in Jordan marking the first time U.S. Tro troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the beginning of this war. Uh, we see that a U.S. destroyer just a few days ago shot down uh, a Houthi uh, anti-ship ballistic missile and three drones this past Wednesday. It followed a close call for a U.S. warship that was targeted by the Iran-backed group in the Red Sea. It's breaking out, so Hamas always boils over. And then in our country, we have political divide, we have dissent, we have more and more destruction and violence being called for. What is this, Lord? So we as believers are called to be the salt and the light. We're the ones that are called to cry out, Lord, how long? Lord, how long? And so we represent God's people and even the lost of this world. God, will you do something about this? You've made me see it now. I didn't want to see it, but look at verse 3. He says, why did you let me see it? And why do you idly look at wrong? It looks like you're just letting it go. Let us pray for our city. Let us pray for our neighborhood. Let us pray for ourselves. Let us cry out to God. God, save us. God, save us. Let us be the church that stands before God, saying, God, help us. God, save us, knowing that he will hear. And now we're to the third way that we can cry out to God, believing. We can cry out believing that God will bring justice. We can cry out believing that God will bring justice. We're in the final verses now. A lot of verses here, but... Really, God's answer, although it was detailed, was really just one thing. I hear you. I'm sending a surprise that is going to blow your mind. I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge Judah. I'm, it's probably not what you thought. And I guarantee you, when you come back next week and you hear how Habakkuk responds, he's like, okay, Lord, now when I was asking for help, I had this in mind, not that. But I can't talk about that yet because that's next week. Save that for next week. But, but just, go, just know that, okay? This is not what he thought he was asking for. So, so this idea of asking for justice, notice in verse 4, uh, he's talking about justice. He's, 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 he's talking about that there's no justice in Judah. And then you notice in verse 7, God says, I'm bringing some justice. It's not the brand you were hoping for, but I'm bringing some from the Chaldeans, from the Babylonians. And so he talks about the situation in Judah. He says, destruction and, and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Sounds like some other country I know of. The law is paralyzed. The Torah is numb and powerless. That sounds like what Paul wrote in Romans. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, for what the, the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The law can't save. It'll tell you what's wrong. It'll tell you what to do and what not to do, but it has, it's, it's numb to that. It can't save you. We need a Savior to save us. And Paul says that's why you need Jesus. But here's Habakkuk. Habakkuk noticing this, he's, he's saying the Torah is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. Now when you're driving down the road, you see these laws posted on signs that say things like speed limit 55. You ever notice those? Those are laws. They're posted on signs. Now that sign is powerless to get your foot off the pedal because the flesh is driving your car. Can you imagine that sign leaping off that post and jumping in your car? No, it doesn't do that. It doesn't happen. The law is powerless to save. It's good. The law is good. God's law is good, and it tells us right from wrong, but it has no power to help you keep it. We need a Savior. Habakkuk, he, he's learning this right now. We're on the other side of this story. We got this book. We got Jesus. He doesn't have that yet. He's learning. He, he says, your law is paralyzed. I've been looking. We've had the Torah all these centuries. And, and look, justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous so that justice goes forth perverted. Another way, twisted, literally, twisted. He said, our court system not only is powerless, but it has taken God's law and twisted it. That was during his day. That's not our day, right? Our court system hasn't twisted God's law, has it? It hasn't taken it and twisted it and called what God called right wrong and what God called wrong right. Oh, yes, but it has. Oh, yes, but it has. This is a timely book. And so then the Lord answers. He doesn't answer the way Habakkuk hopes for. He gives three uh, like uh, imperative words here in verse 5. Look, see wonder. He's going to answer. Look among the nations. You can look at all the nations. I've called one and it's coming your way. He says, I'm doing a work in your days. You might think, where's God? Why aren't you doing something? He says, I'm already at work. You just don't know it yet, but it's coming. You better look. You're not going to believe it's coming for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. You can say that in Southern. I'm sicking the Babylonians on you. That's not, what, that's not what Habakkuk was hoping for. He was hoping God would do something so they could keep the status quo, but just clean it up. But no, you asked for justice. I'm, you said there's too much violence. I'm going to bring the most unjust, violent people to come and give Judah what they want. Man. It's a bitter nation, a hasty nation. He, he uses these predatorial, uh, these predatorial images to describe how they fight. They're like leopards, verse 8. They're like wolves. Uh, they're like eagles, predators. They come for Hamas, verse 9. They come for violence. They gather, they gather captives. They laugh at kings and scoff. They even laugh at at your, you know, you got the walls of Jerusalem that they're just so beautiful and wonderful. 
They're going to pile up earth. They're going to pile up earthen ramps. They've got technology they've worked out, and they're patient. They'll, they'll work six, eight months, 12 months until they take you out and lay siege to your fort. They laugh at forts. Verse 10. And then verse 11. They're, they're like, they sweep like wind. They're so, they just move fast. He's calling them from afar. He's calling them from a distance. They're dreaded and fearsome, verse 7. And they worship their own strength as their God, their own technology, their own warfare, their chariots. That's what they worship. This had to surprise Habakkuk because they were always fighting against the Assyrians and the Egyptians. The, I mean, they had lost Josiah to the Egyptians. We know the Chaldeans. Uh, Chal- the Chaldeans, uh, they're from down there in Mesopotamia, uh, down there where, where the Tigris and the Euphrates. Uh, they've never given us any problem. In fact, that's almost 1,000 miles from here. And, and we've had charts, so let's have a map right now. Uh, and so, so they're down here from the Persian Gulf, this area, and they've just been like a minor player up until now. But this, this man named Nabopolassar has now been fighting for the last 10 years against the Assyrians, and he has weakened them. And now he's brought his son, Nebuchadnezzar, up. And Nebuchadnezzar comes all the way up to fight the last uh, battle against Assyria before they overthrow Assyria. And King Necho down in Egypt, Pharaoh Necho, he hears about it, and he doesn't want this new player on the international stage. So he comes up through Israel, up through Judah and Israel, and he's headed to Carchemish to try to at least stand with the Assyrians against this new force of Babylonians. And ironically, as he passes through, the last good king of Judah, King Josiah, fights him at Megiddo, which is place that we call today Armageddon, the Valley of Armageddon, and, and jo- Josiah is killed uh, by, by an archer, and Nico told him, the Lord sent me up here, why are you delaying me? I'm not even coming to fight you, I'm on my way to Carchemish, and he goes up here and he gets defeated. So the Assyrians and the Egyptians are defeated at Carchemish, and now the Babylonians own the entire Fertile Crescent. Now, this is a 1,000 miles. You can't come across the Arabian Desert. There's no water. There's no way to, to do that. So they had to travel along the Tigris and Euphrates, the Fertile Crescent. And so it was something that Habakkuk had to be astounded. He, he said, you're going to be astounded. You're going to be astounded because the, the answer I'm giving you is I'm sending the Babylonians to judge Judah. But after 70 years, he, Habakkuk doesn't know this, they're cleaned up. When they come home, there's no more idolatry. The synagogue system starts. It's a new, it's a new time for, for, for Judah as they return. He, he says this. Now, we'll, we'll look next week at how Habakkuk feels about the answer during this time. But this is the beginning of God really answering the way He's going to answer. Because in Isaiah, we see the answer that's really coming. He says, Behold my servant who I am, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a, fault, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He said there's a Messiah, an anointed one coming, Isaiah says, who is so gentle even though there's a wick that's about to go out that's just smoking, he won't pinch it out. 
he'll let it go ahead and smoke. He, even though there's a bruised reed that's about to break, he won't step on it. He's gentle. He, does, he comes and he brings justice without violence. This one comes and brings justice to human hearts. And he changes the world one heart at a time. Isaiah sees this. This new, this new one that comes. The anointed one that brings real salvation. And speaking of him, this is what Jesus says in the book of Luke. He says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This Jesus says, he's going to bring justice. He's coming. He's going to bring justice. He's going to bring help. I don't know what you're praying today. I don't know what your heart is crying out for. You might say, Lord... If you don't do this thing I'm asking, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. This is not the prayer of lament. This is the prayer of doubt. But can you pray like this? Can I challenge you to pray like this? Lord, I believe in you. I trust you. But it seems like you're not answering my prayer. I, I know you're able to. I know you hear me. But how much longer do I have to cry out? This is the prayer of faith. Notice the, the difference. The difference is not subtle. The difference is you keep on believing while you wait. And you trust that God's with you even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. This is the way that Habakkuk prays. And this is the way we can pray. We can pray as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, is there any way... This cup could pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Because <laughs> your will is always better than my will. Oh yes, we enter this world wailing, and there's many tears along the way. But there's a day coming. How long, Lord, before it comes? Oh, come quickly, Lord. Come and wipe away every tear. And until then, let us cry out to him. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Let's pray. Lord, right now I just lift up to you our prayers. First, I lift up the prayers of that person that came in far from God today. You came in today, and you've got your your doubts and your questions, but as you listened, you were convinced God is real, Christ is the only way, but you've never, you've never cried out to Him and made a commitment to Him. Would you do it right now? You can do it right where you're at. You can express your faith in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross and that you were raised from the grave and that you did this to pay for my sins. I believe that. And I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me. Adopt me into your family. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And even though I still have questions, I've decided today to commit my life to you. And I trust even my questions to you. 
Others are here today, and you've done that. You've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you're going through it right now. You're hurting. You don't know where to put the pain. It's too great. The burden is too heavy. You could try to deny it. You could try to bury it. You could become bitter by it. Or you could cry out, Lord, I'm hurting. How long must I grieve? How long must I ask for help? How long before you move, Lord? But know this, Lord, while I wait, I believe. I trust. I know your way is better than my way. In Jesus' name, amen.